Principal Matters Podcast, episode 368. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're going to be talking about school leaders as builders with our co-host Jen Schwanke interviewing Dr. Robin Jackson. Yes, this week we have a special edition with Dr. Jen Schwanke and Dr. Robin Jackson, who agreed to record this edition of Principal Matters, where Jen hosts the interview. And in this conversation, you will find helpful lessons for your leadership as they discuss topics like reaching 100% of students, principals as builders instead of leaders, navigating leadership as women, and confronting the imposter syndrome. I heard Dr. Robin Jackson present this summer at the NASSP Ignite Conference, and she has been leading ongoing virtual sessions as a part of the Ignite Plus series with NASSP. And her lessons on buildership are both motivational and positively provoking as she calls out school leaders to a mindset of doing the work of building schools rather than just doing the work of leading schools. And by the way, each month in the fall of 2023, the National Association of Secondary School Principals is hosting virtual meetings led by Jimmy Casas, Dr. Salome Thomas-L, Dr. Robin Jackson, Dr. Jen Schwanke, and me. You can find out more or register at nassp.org backslash ignite plus. Finally, I want to highlight my favorite quote from today's interview with Dr. Jackson when she says, quote, I don't have to be your fantasy of a school leader in order to be transformative in the work I do. Who I am is sufficient, end quote. I hope you, like I, find this conversation refreshing and challenging. And a big thank you to Dr. Jen Schwanke for hosting this special edition and to Dr. Robin Jackson for providing an episode packed with valuable lessons for Principal Matters listeners. As always, thank you for learning together and thanks for doing what matters. First of all, Robin, thank you so much for taking this meeting and for being willing to record with us at Principal Matters. Um, Welcome. Welcome, Robin. Thank you for having me. I have been looking forward to this conversation. It's so great. I, I want all of our listeners to know who you are and know what you do. You do such powerful work. And hey, Robin, you probably don't even remember the first time I met you. It was years ago. I had just published my first book and ASCD invited several new authors to Washington, D.C. And they had you come and provide I think, motivation, inspiration, guidance to the group. Do you remember that experience? I absolutely remember (laughs) that. I was about to interrupt you and say, of course I remember the first time I met you. That was a really good day. It was such a good day. And I I left feeling so inspired and knowing you were going to change the world. And so here we are (laughs) seven years later and, and talking on the podcast. So why don't you kind of introduce yourself to any listeners who might not know you? Tell us about your journey as an educator and what you're doing now. Take the mic. So do you want the long version or the short version? Just like the the two minute version <laughs> or are you looking for more of the story? I I kind of want both. Um, so so give us the two minute version about who you are, what you're doing, and then tell us how it all happened. So currently I um spend most of my time, I would say the majority of my time, mentoring 
K-12 principals and helping them make the shift from being leaders who are just kind of managing and, and trying to eke out small incremental gains to builders who are really transforming schools and achieving 100% success for students. So that's where I'm devoting my time and my energy at this point. That is the love of my life. And so we have something called Buildership University, and we built that from the ground up to help people become builders who are going to have that kind of success for kids. It's the most rewarding thing. Other than teaching, this is the most rewarding thing I've ever done. So you started as a teacher and tell us about the path that brought you to this work. So I started out as a teacher and I thought that was going to be my life. I was a high school English teacher and I was really committed to this idea of helping all of my kids be successful with the rigorous work. And so for years as a teacher, I was always trying to figure out, okay, how do I make sure that every kid in my class is successful? And it got to the point where I defined success as 80% or higher. I didn't want anybody getting anything below a B minus. And so I had to figure out how to reconfigure my entire way of teaching so that I sustained rigor right? I wanted to make sure that my kids were, my kids were, I had mostly 11th graders. They were doing college level work. They didn't know it, but I wanted them to do college level work because I was teaching writing, but I wanted them to be successful at it. So how do I sustain rigor and help all kids be successful? And I figured that out as a teacher. And of course, you know, no good deed goes unrewarded. So I'd gotten to the point where I was, um, I'd started an AP program in our school. Uh, we had an AP program, but I started a particular course, AP language and composition. Um, I, uh, significantly increased enrollment. I opened the door so that any kid could get in and be successful. I'd gotten to the point where I had no failures. I was not, I didn't give any Fs. And then I would occasionally, you know, if a kid really fought me for it, I would, there would be a D, but I was right. mostly, there were, and there were a few C's, but I was really working towards a hundred percent success. And then I became an instructional coach and then um, I was kind of nudged into administration. And so I was kind of what they called a student support specialist, which was a, um, a, a kind of like a dean of students. And then I became an assistant principal. And my the, the program, you had to go through two years of training as an AP before you'd even be eligible for to be invited to be a principal intern and then a principal. Well, and, so and I was in yeah, please. Well, I just want to pause a minute because for our listeners who've not had the privilege of meeting you in person like I have, you also have a very gentle and um, uh, persuasive way about you. So I imagine you with students as a teacher of writing. See, I'm an English teacher too. Nobody knows that time that puts that you have to put in to having expectations in which students are excellent writers. They believe they can do it they, they grow as thinkers. And so that translates, I'm quite sure into the instructional coaching world and then the leadership world. You know, it's, it was a hard transition, right? Because I had to learn and, and this actually served me well later on, but when I first started coaching, you know, you do what all coaches do. Well, this is what worked for me. Right. And that, you know, and I remember uh, coaching uh, someone who was teaching AP statistics and she said, that works for your class. I can't figure out how to make it work for AP statistics. And right. so what I decided to do is I said, I have to figure out a way to take what I'm doing and understand the principles behind what I'm doing so that I can't just say, well, I do it this way. 
I would start teaching. These are the principles and showing other people. So then I started working with an AP world studies teacher and AP biology teacher to help them open the gates, to help them make AP accessible to every single child in our building, no matter what, that was my goal. And when I started doing that, that laid the groundwork for what eventually became my first book, which is never work harder than your students and other principles of great teaching. And it was only because of that experience of trying to take what I was doing, understand it enough at its most fundamental elemental level so that I could show other people how to do it as a coach. And then as an, as a, as an administrator that I was able to kind of distill it down to these are the principles so that it could work for everybody and everybody could have that same level of success without having to become a carbon copy of what I was doing. Cause I mean, who am I? Like I, it's like, it, I didn't want people to teach like I taught. I was teaching based on my personality, but right. how could you still have that kind of success no matter what your personality? And that was, that was something I was really committed to doing because I wanted people to still be able to be who they were, but still be able to have predictable, consistent success no matter who you are. Right. Right. And I remember, I remember hearing about your book, never work harder than your students. And I think the earth shifted on its axis because, it, <laughs> you know, seriously, Robin, because so many teachers were, and still are working so hard. Their hearts are stretched so thin working hard. And then they get so frustrated and disillusioned when they're working harder than their students. So I think that really spoke to so many teachers. And then you come out, you know, with, with another punch, never underestimate your teachers. Mm -hmm. And then you started shifting into this, this incredible concept of buildership and mind steps. So tell us about that. So it started happening slowly, you know, like I had been trying to do all these things. At first I was working, you know, when I finally um, left, uh, I, I actually quit my job in the middle of the year because I was getting promoted. And um, the day they came to me with the offer of promotion, something flew out of my mouth and I resigned <laughs> on the spot. And okay, wait, wait, wait. So they come to promote you and you resign. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a weird story, but it's true. You know, it just didn't feel right. I had a book inside of me. I didn't know it. I didn't know what the book was. I didn't have any plan. I didn't even intend to resign. But when they came to me and they were like, next year, you know, we want to put you in a principalship. And it was a year early. I thought I had another year to make up my mind. And they came to me a year early. And they said, we want to do this for you. And I just, I said, I, I, I want to quit and write a book. And so, they, you know, I was shocked when I said it, they were shocked to hear it. But once I said it, I realized it was my truth. And so um, I finished out the school year and people would come to me and say, Hey, you know, like, well, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to write a book. They were, I didn't have a publisher. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have anything. And so I started mind steps because I was doing some consulting and showing other people these principles and how to do the work. And so eventually that became the book. But when I started working with teachers, I would do all of this training for teachers and they would say, Oh my goodness, this is the way I want to teach. But the administrator was rarely in a training. And the administrator would then come into the classroom with the traditional things that they were taught to do to move teachers. And they didn't understand what teachers were doing. And so I said, well, I have a, I've got to start helping administrators understand how to do this work. And so I shifted to work with both teachers and administrators. And then I realized if the administrator is not on board, 
then it really sets the teachers up. So then I started moving more and more towards working with administrators because it really starts with the administrator. If the administrator does not have a vision in the building for 100% success, then teachers really struggle. You have to really be you know, willing to fight for your kids otherwise. So it has to start with the administrator. And so that's the work that I'm doing now. And then I started realizing that leadership strategies weren't gonna do it. The way we are taught to lead is antithetical to 100% success. And so I started looking for something else. I couldn't find it. And so that's why we created that buildership model. Well, and you, you say often, stop leading and start building. And I love that concept because so many principals are out there thinking they're leading, but it's really managing, right? Or it's really checking off the the checklist that you have for the day. And I have always felt such empathy for teachers that are trying a new thing or that are really, you know, teaching outside of the box. And then here comes an administrator who thinks, well, that's not how I would have done it. And, <laughs> and right. And then it, it breaks down that passion and that energy to, that a teacher has. So tell us more about like when you go into a room and you say, stop leading start building? What are the expressions? What do people say? And, and how do you work through their preconceived notion that they should lead? So the first step to becoming a builder, as opposed to being a leader, is that a builder has a vision for success for every single child. I know we say that all kids, this, all kids, that right. we don't really believe it. And I can tell we don't believe it because our behavior doesn't support that. If we really believe that all kids would be successful, we'd be doing things dramatically different, differently than the way we do them now, but we don't. And so when I go in, the biggest objection is you can't get 100% success. I've, right. I've had people call me, like I was talking to someone the other day, wanted me to do a keynote at a conference and we were talking about the keynote and I was talking about 100% success. And he said, um, you know, I don't know if I want you to say that because it feels, you know, it's gonna put a lot of pressure on the principals. I just said to him, then why did you call me? Like right. you find anybody to tell people that, you know, go for 80%, but here's the problem. Even if you say 80%, a lot of people think that's a lofty goal. But when you say 80% of our kids are going to be successful, what you're saying is you're saying, and I'm okay with 20% of our kids failing. I'm going to make a plan for 20% of our kids to fail. And it's right, one of the right. people in the program you know, showing me, she was, when she finally embraces 100% vision, um, she went to her, her leadership team and she said, this is what we're going to do. And they were like, no, 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 let's do 80%. And they were fighting back and forth about it for a while. And finally she said, okay, I've, we have 200 kids in the school. She pulled out the list of all 200 kids. She handed out red pens and she said, I want you to cross off the, the 20%. So 200 kids, that's 40 kids. Cross off the 40%. 40 kids that we are going to be okay with not serving. Oh, and wow. At that moment, it's sunk in. Until you get to the point where you are committed and you say, you're willing to say aloud 100%, that's our goal, that's what we're building, then you're always going to be a leader. But the moment you do that, even if you know nothing else, that's the moment you become a builder because it's not about, you know, 100% scary because you're not there yet. And the school you have right now will not get you there. That's okay. That's that's the first admission. But when you're a builder, instead of saying, oh, we can't get there, you say, what do we have to build in order for that to be true? What do we have to build in order for 100% of our kids to be successful? So instead right. of tweaking a broken system, 
you go ahead and build the one your kids deserve and need. And that's what makes you a builder. Support for Principal Matters comes from DigiCoach and its walkthrough tool. When Kathleen Beckham was a district director, she would walk through classrooms and see teachers engaging students in learning or observe elements missing in their instruction. And her biggest challenge was finding the time to give those teachers meaningful and helpful feedback that they would value as coaching and not correction. In the past, Kathleen spent hours in follow-up email exchanges after informal walkthroughs, but that all changed when she discovered DigiCoach. She now has a tool that can help her send immediate feedback from her phone or her tablet. DigiCoach is a fully customizable tool created by school leaders for school leaders to not only collect walkthrough data, but also ensure every teacher receives ongoing support, feedback, and coaching. It features thousands of pre-written, research-based commendations and coaching tips that can be included along with your own observation comments and a follow-up email ensuring all teachers receive effective and timely support. Are you ready to make the most of your walkthroughs with a tool that saves you time and enhances meaningful feedback to your teachers? Go to digicoach.com to learn more and please tell them Principal Matters recommended you check them out. That's digicoach.com. Support for Principal Matters comes from School CEO. School CEO is a research and perspectives magazine for superintendents and other K-12 leaders powered by AppTG. School CEO has many resources. First and foremost, their quarterly print magazine. Explore schoolceo.com to explore how you can market the strengths of your schools. You can sign up for their newsletter and subscribe to their podcast. And you should also look into the School CEO Conference, which brings keynote speakers together to explore how to build a better brand and culture in your school. Learn more at schoolceo.com. Well, and I have two, I have two immediate responses to that. First is when you described crossing off kids you know, this is the one will fail. This is the one. Like, I think my heart hurt there for a minute because, you know, every child is somebody's world. Every child deserves this, the the path to future. Every child deserves someone believing in them and a red pen crossing out a name. Seriously, I think I had some shivers there. You also, you say on your website, many times, you know, people set goals in three years, we'll increase our reading proficiency from 35% to 40. And you flip that. You say, oh, okay, so you're going to only fail 60% instead of 65. So, you know, that's, that's a really subtle, but profound mindset shift. And once you have that, you know, it's kind of like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Right. right? And once you have that mindset, then you start to realize that most of the stuff that we are taught to do on a day-to-day basis was never designed to get us to hundred percent. Right. Right. It was designed to help us maintain the status quo. You know, I see people fighting tooth and nail, working extra hours to try to eke out a 5% increase in proficiency in a year. And then they get rewarded for that. We're told that's great. You grew by 5%. Right. What? I mean, you, <laughs> if you're going to work that hard for only 5%, what are you doing? Right. You could work just as hard. And this is what I see over and over and over again with the principals I mentor. 
they work just as hard and sometimes less and they're showing huge gains. I mean, we, we had someone go from, you know, her, she was working in a really difficult situation. She had five or 6% of her kids were proficient in math. And she worked in one year and went from five or 6% to 26% proficiency. She doubled her reading proficiency. I think they were 24% proficient in reading. She went to 63% proficiency in reading. And that happens over and over and over again. So imagine working really hard. And at the end of the day, you're at the same space or your 5% growth or working as hard, maybe in a little less because you have a hundred percent vision and you're focused on a hundred percent strategies and seeing that kind of growth in one year. That's right. because that that's so fresh. I see leaders all the time who are told and rewarded for, for, for maintaining the status quo. But when you realize that even leadership, the concept of leadership is an artifact of the institution invented by the institution to maintain the institution, that's when you realize that all of the strategies and the things you're being told to do are not designed to get you to 100%. They're designed to maintain or right. to slightly increase, which is basically staying the same, what right. you're already doing. So why so, are we doing it? So you you touched on something I want to dissect a little bit more. You you talked about work, you know, working hard. So many administrators, and I know you and I follow some social media groups, so many administrators are working so hard. They're working so many hours. They're exhausted. They're burned out. And they're not seeing the results that will lift them up and, and keep them going. So how, let's talk about work for a while. You mentioned maybe a little less. <laughs> how can principals empower teachers in the classroom without killing themselves, without working 16-hour days? What does that look like? So it's, it's, it's basically a result of three things. Okay. So the first thing is what is the work you're doing? So we fetishize working hard as administrators. Yes. You, know, you get a group of administrators together and they're like, Oh, uh, I was, uh, you know, I work late and I can't go home or, you know, I, when yes. I, was yes. <laughs> I started going home. I started, I said, this is ridiculous. And I started figuring out ways to get my work done more quickly. So I started going home at like four o'clock, four thirty, right? And and people were giving me the side eye, like right. I was, I was the master <laughs> scheduler. I was doing all this stuff, and I was going home at four and four thirty. But my master schedule was the first one in. I mean, it's about. It's not a. People thought I was slacking because I figured out how to be more efficient and effective at my work, when in fact we all should be doing that. There is no glory in working late and killing yourself and nights and weekends. So exactly. the first thing is you have to figure out, are you working hard or are you doing the hard work? Right. If you're just working hard and not seeing results, what are you doing? Just stop. If you can take a moment and figure out what is the right work that I should be doing, then it makes all the difference. So that's that's kind of the, the first step. So one of the things that we do is we help people figure out what is the right work. And then we teach them how to ignore everything else. We're taught we have to solve all the problems. You don't have to solve all the problems. You have to solve the ones that are the most important. And then by solving those, the other problems go away. And so we focus on first, what is the most important work you should be doing? Stop working hard. You do the hard work and get it done. The second thing is, rather than just kind of, play, you know, kind of uh, mitigating the problems, you want to figure out how to solve them once for all. If I can't solve a problem, then I'm not ready to start working on the problem yet. 
Right. If I, I have to know that if I work on this problem, it will be solved once and for all. And so when you do that, you never have to deal with it again. And what we do is we keep solving the same problems over and over again. Right. <laughs> the question, did we really solve them? If I'm still dealing with it, I didn't solve it. So why I'm wasting a lot of time. So the first thing, what's the right work? Second thing, if you're going to solve it, solve it. And then the oh, third thing. Yes, is- I wish I'm just pausing because I really want our listeners to rewind 30 seconds and listen to that again. I think that's the answer to so much of this feeling of uh-huh. I'm working so hard because we mistake hard work with hours put in, right? Yes. And you're saying, no, you know, do the hard work, but that doesn't mean you stay till 10 p.m. I heard a great phrase once and it was not related to education, but it said boundaries are, are treat- teaching other people how to treat you. I flipped that for the workplace. Boundaries are teaching your job how to treat you. you no, know, right. Right. So, okay. I love that. Step one and step two. And what about step three? And so step three is you, you, you need, right. We feel like we have to do everything. And so we're every year we're making it up all over again. Whereas if we put systems in place and we started relying more on our systems, we create the system once, but we rely on it over and over and over again. And schools are some of the most inefficient organizations I've ever seen. And if we just put the right systems in place, people could rely on those systems and we could get so much more done. Even as a teacher, I was sitting there thinking, okay, how do I put a system in place? So this becomes, how much can I put on automatic pilot? How, what kind of systems can I build in my classroom so that I can focus on the work I need to be doing, but the other work that needs doing gets done. And we think we have to go do everything and instead of just kind of creating systems so that the systems do the heavy lifting and not us. So if you did those three things, you could get more done, get more of the right stuff done with work with, and work less doing it. Right. And you know, what's so powerful about number three is I, a lot of the work I do is convincing principals. If you're on the sideline and you're calling all the calls and you're subbing people in and out, you're the coach. You're not the athletic director. You're not the principal. You're the coach. So don't be the teacher. Believe in your teachers. Put those systems in place, like you said, and then let them work. And what your message to your teachers then is, I believe in you. I believe you can implement this system. I've got you if you need reminded about the system, but go forth. Yeah. I mean, you know what? One of the things that's so exhausting about leadership is that we try to teacher-proof teaching. Right. <laughs> I've, ne- I've never heard it put that way. Oh my gosh. Like, so what, why are we hiring teachers, right? <laughs> if, if instead, what if we were doing things to set teachers up for success? So one of the things that, that, that separates builders from leaders is that leaders don't trust their teachers. Yes. Builders really believe and I say this over and over again, and people, you know, I say any teacher <laughs> can become a master teacher with the right kind of support and practice. And everybody fights me on that. Nothing, I get more pushback on that than anything else. But here's the thing. If I set up my building so that every teacher grows one level in one critical domain in one year or less, then in three years, I have teachers who are either master teachers or approaching mastery in a way that I can trust my teachers. So once they come into my building, I don't care who they are. I have to believe in my teachers in the same way that I expect my teachers to believe in their kids. It's crazy to me that I want to say to my teachers, I don't care who the kid is. You have to find a way to help that kid uh, meet or exceed the standards. But I don't put that same kind of effort into the way that I'm supporting my teachers. I'm a hypocrite. 
It's so true, Robin. That is so, I want to shout right now. I am shouting, I think. <laughs> it's so true. We we tell teachers to do this thing that we don't do for them. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Um. Oh, this is so, so much fun. What other challenges do you see principals facing as you mentor them? And, you know, what's hanging them up? What's particularly difficult for them right now? I think the hardest thing for principals, especially principals who really want to make the transition from being leaders to builders, is principals have to protect their confidence. Right. And it's something we never talk about. But most principals, I find, are walking around with a heavy dose of imposter syndrome. Right. <laughs> they feel like they are, they're in charge. They're trying to prove that they, you know, that they deserve to be there. They remember being teachers and being critical of their principles. And now they're occupying that role and wondering what teachers are saying about them. They're struggling to earn the, the respect of their teachers. And half the time, they really don't know what they're doing. They, right. they, they're making it up. Right. And, and they rely, I think one of the reasons why we rely so much on all these leadership principles and read these books and everything is because they give us a veneer of certainty, right? If I can read a book about crucial conversations or courageous conversations and go into that conversation with a script, then I can feel like I know what I'm doing, even though that conversation is so fraught. And, and so now I can feel like I'm in control. And so if we could do if, 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 if principals could, could have something that they really could rely on and it's not something outside of them, it's something that they can, they can grab and be, and make a part of them so that then when they go into the schools every single day, they feel like they, they can anchor in something, then that changes everything, which is why I love the power of having that conviction and vision around a hundred percent, because you can anchor in that. And I always say that you can be stubborn on the vision but flexible in the details. Right. And that gives you the freedom to bring other people into your vision. That gives you the freedom to make mistakes. Um, you know, that gives you the freedom to figure it out, but you can anchor in that. And that vision gives you confidence without having to feel like you know everything. Well, and I'm glad you just circled right back around to that confidence, you know, to protect our confidence is huge because I agree. Many, many of us walk around thinking, I hope they don't find out. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> and, and like you said, we all have that memory of being in the classroom, being so critical of our leader. And then somebody gives us the key and we're like, oh, uh oh, you know, now they're talking about us. Let's talk for a moment because I love to do this. I think it's helpful for all school leaders to think about this. What unique challenges do women face as you see it? Um, you know, you and I have both worn that hat for sure. That's the hat we're wearing. What What is unique for our sisters out there? You know, I, this is a hard question to answer I know, because I know. <laughs> layered on top of my gender is also my race. So right. there is, there's a, I think that there, that I experience being a woman differently as a black woman. Right. And so I can't speak to the experience of all women, but I can definitely speak to the experience of being a black woman. And the challenge that we have is that we have to find a way to be in charge and responsible, but we're also um, walking a really fine line. You know, if we're assertive, then people uh, misinterpret that assertiveness as um, um, it, it, that, that same assertiveness in a man would be a, a hallmark of his being a good leader. 
But in a woman, it can come across as, you know, emotional, shrill, angry. Um, and so sometimes the work that we're doing, the conviction we have, the passion that we have for our work can be mis misinterpreted and weaponized against us. So we're always walking the fine line between how what we're doing and the work we're doing and how it is interpreted and trying to find ways to, to help people feel comfortable with who we are so that we can get out there and make a difference. And I think that is that, that double or triple consciousness um, that we carry with us every day into the building um, uh, often can, if we don't know how to manage that, it really uh, puts a cap on the potential for good that we, we really have in a building. And I think that a lot of times learning how to navigate that is harder than even figuring out how to move a school. I, I agree. And that's why I'm, I'm so glad I asked that question. If you, if listeners could see me, my eyes are squinting as I'm thinking and listening to your words. And I'm glad you um, identified yourself as a, as a black woman as well. You know, I didn't feel the, the white woman on the other end of the microphone could say, tell us about that. But I'm glad you went there because I think it is such a unique challenge that is faced by by women of color leading schools and you nailed it if if we and and I'm not a woman of color but I I am a woman leader and I have to always think okay is my reaction going to be seen as hysterical over emotional um impulsive but yet if I don't you know be assertive then I'm weak um not able to do hard things and and you know I always feel like this is figurative but women leaders need to know when to whisper and when to scream. And I don't mean that literally, we should never scream, but when, when it's time to go soft and when it's time to go a little bit harder, a little bit louder. Yeah. I, I, I think that part of the reason, you know, just, I'm just thinking about this now as we're talking, but maybe part of the reason why I was so adamant about trying to find a framework that could work with who you are mm -hmm. is because I got really tired of trying to, of feeling, not even trying, but feeling the pressure to fit the mold of who other people wanted me to be. Yes. And so the, the buildership framework is intentionally designed to help you be who you are. So a lot of times when I'm coach, you know, we have um, office hours inside of Buildership University every single week where I'm coaching principals and they come and, you know, bring all their challenges. Mm -hmm. And people will say to me, I need to be more organized. And I always, I always say, no, you don't. I mean, that's, <laughs> if you're not organized, then you don't need to be more organized. You can be successful without being organized. You have to recognize I'm not organized and work with that, but right. still the framework will still work for you. And I think the reason that I was, I've, I've been so insistent on doing that is because I have had the expectations put on me. And I have rejected that and said, I don't have to be your, your fantasy of, of, of a, of a, of a school leader in order to be transformative in the work that I do. Right. And who I am is, is sufficient. And so I try to do that when I am working with teachers, I try to work with who the teacher is, find the strains, because that's what I want people to do with kids. And it's so weird. It's just the dichotomy of how we expect people to treat kids and how we treat the adults. Mm -hmm. I hate it. I feel I like if you, if you really want people to love and embrace all your kids, 
then you've got to find a way to love and embrace all the people who are on your staff and people, I, you know, it's funny. I just got somebody who unsubscribed um, from my email list this morning because I wrote something that said that my job is not to get rid of teachers. And he adamantly believes his job is to get rid of teachers. Uh, and so I mean, that's opening up with a whole new. Yeah, world. that's a. <laughs> but my, my point is that I feel like one of the reasons why I was so invested in creating a framework that would work with whoever you are was because I want to reject the notion that you have to be a certain way in order to be effective. And so many of those, um, you know, little boxes that, that people want to put us in are so archaic. They're from like, you know, 1970, 1980. This is what a principal looks like. I remember when I would challenge you that it's not so archaic, right? I think you're right. It is, it is very current and if alive and well, (laughs) if you look at the way the world works right now uh, and some of the concerns that are out there in the zeitgeist, they're really concerns about the fact that people still hold closely to those notions of what a good principal, of what a good woman, uh, of what a good Black person should be. And so I would argue that we want to think that they're archaic, but they're not. But they're and alive they're getting, and well. Mm-hmm. And, and the institution supports that. The, 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 the education uh, institution, schools support that. They demand it of right. us in many cases. I think you're you're right, Robin. As as you were talking, I was thinking about this story I like to tell. You know, it's a little bit where I got my first leadership job and I went to Talbot's because I thought I needed to buy Talbot's suits, right? <laughs> that was and it took me 10 years to be like, I hate these clothes. I'm not comfortable. <laughs> I don't look like myself. This is so stupid. But that circles me back to confidence, right? Leaders, the school leaders need to have confidence. School builders need to know I know what I'm doing. And it's not about how high my heels are or if my suit it was was on the Talbot's catalog. Like, who are you as a leader? You know, and and Robin, I I could talk to you till next week, but but I want to talk about your joy. Mm-hmm. You seem to have such joy in your work. And the couple times we've met in person, I just walked away feeling better for having interacted with you. Aww. How do you how do you keep that joy? You spend your days talking to people with problems. <laughs> how mm-hmm. do you how do you stay focused and keep your joy? So personally, the way that I do it is um I I I have a I, I have a of religious experience. I, you know, like I, I, I pray, I spend a lot of time, um, taking things to God and, um, and, and, and that trust that, that God has me, that God is guiding my life. Um, the, the, and the faith in that helps give me joy. So that's the source of the joy. But then because of that, I think God has put me in a position right now where I get to work with people I love working with. I mean, how, how often can you say that? And the people I love working with are people who have made the decision that I want to be builders, that I want to believe in hundred percent success. And so when they're, when I'm talking to people, I don't see them as talking to people with problems, right? I see it as talking to people who are trying to do something really important and I get to help them do that. Right. I can't imagine, you know, that, like I said, this is what teaching was for me. Like, I don't think a teacher says I spend my day with 
people with problems. A teacher says, I spend my day where I get to help people unlock their potential, where I get to help people develop skills that help them go out and build amazing lives and potentially change the world. There's no difference between that and what I'm doing. And so it gets me back to my first love, which was teaching. And it allows me to do that in a way that also impacts thousands, hundreds of thousands of kids. Because if we could create schools where the administrators and the teachers truly believed that every single kid could and should be successful, that's what's going to change the world. And I get to be a part, I get to play a small part of that. Why wouldn't I be happy? Why wouldn't right. I enjoy? <laughs> well, and Robin, what I hear you doing is you, you flip a con, you flip, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? In your mind, you um, flip an equation. So in other words, well, we're going to improve proficiency to 40% means you're still failing 60. When I say to you, oh, people, you know, these people come to you with problems. You say, no, they're not problems. They're opportunities. They're, they're something else. And so that's a, a wonderfully effective mind um, skill that you have to flip that and, and not think of it as something to wallow in, but rather something to build upon. Yeah. I mean, that's the essence of being a builder. You know, if you are really a builder, then what you do is no matter what anybody throws at you, you look at that and you find, use it, you find a way to use it to build the thing that you're building. Right. And that's why I think that having that vision, that conviction around 100% success creates confidence because right. you once you once you commit to that, then nothing that you encounter will stop you. Right. Nothing. So when the district gives you a crazy mandate that's that has nothing to do with what you what you're trying to do instead of lamenting that you say okay let's look at the mandate how can we use this to build what we're trying to do anyway right. when you have a parent who comes in and they're causing you problems you instead of like oh i can't stand this parent you say all right let's kind of figure out where can we find the common ground and then let's use this help this parent use their energy for good instead of evil when you have a teacher who's trying to cause chaos in your building, you can use as an opportunity to bring your staff closer together and bring that teacher into the fold. When you're a builder, everything, everything becomes an opportunity. And that gives you enormous confidence. That helps you what that I, I say it makes your school crisis proof. It really does because right. there isn't a crisis that can occur in your school that you can't build on. Right. Right, Robin, I feel like you have so much to say and so much to teach all of the principals out there. Tell us where to find you. I mean, I, I know where your website is, but why don't you tell our listeners? So our our main website is buildershipuniversity.com. And several times a year, we offer some uh, free trainings to help people learn this process. Um, not everybody can invest in Buildership University, but we still wanna make sure that we're giving people the tools and the mindset that they need. So buildershipuniversity.com, you go there and um, and um, you, if you are interested in Buildership University, you can join the wait list. Um, the other place, and this is my other joy, is the School Leadership Reimagined podcast. And every single week, it's just me and I'm teaching about buildership. 
And that's a great place to go to, to start learning about buildership. It's, it's free PD. It's my opportunity to, to provide professional development to administrators out there who really want to be builders. So schoolleadershipreimagined.com. Excellent. And we will link those in the show notes. And you also go to conferences and you present, I know that you and I are both doing the um, NASSP Ignite series. Um, What, where can, uh, are there any big conferences coming up where you will be and people can look for you? So I'm always at ASCD. Um, They're my publisher. So I'm at the ASCD annual conference and I usually do the ASCD leadership conference. Um, I plan to be at the um, NASSP and ESP combined United conference next year. Um, I don't travel as much as I used to because I'm really focused on supporting the builders and Buildership University, but I'm usually at several of the big conferences every year. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'm going to be at the next two ASCDs and I'm going to hunt you down because we need to have a cup of coffee, I think, or tea or lemonade or whatever. So (laughs) thank you so much. All of the above. All of the above. (laughs) We will just go down the list. Exactly. Robin, it has been a true honor. Your joy, your expertise, and your um, the way you so softly say hard things is such an inspiration to me. So I thank you. And I, I can't um, tell you enough how much of a pleasure this has been. Thank you so much. I always enjoy talking to you. No so problem. Conversation. No problem. And I will, um, gosh, I'll see you. Our paths will cross. We're doing this good work. So You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. Check out the services link on williamdparker.com to learn more about leadership academies, mastermind offerings, and executive coaching. If you're planning professional development for the year ahead, or you're looking for keynote presentations from any of my books, please email me at will at williamdparker.com. Thank you for learning together today. And thanks again for doing what matters.